This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. My guest is Kimberly Garza, author of her debut novel, The Last Caracoas. She is Zooming with me today from her home in Texas. Kimberly, welcome to Book Talk. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Tell us about the Caracoas, the original tribes, and the last of them in your book title. So the the last, first of all, the last of them is uh, sort of a a misnomer, right? It's it's meant to be a title that has you know a question or an asterisk with it. The one of the characters in the book believes that she is a descendant of the Caracoas, who were, are I should say, an indigenous people that settled along the Texas, what's now the Texas coast, the Gulf Coast. And in a lot of history that's been taught, uh, I remember being taught this in public school, um, like, you know, junior high or something. They're taught that they went extinct, that they disappeared or died out, that they migrated elsewhere, that they've, they've gone, they've since gone. And there's a lot of, of myth and legend told about them, the, the rumors that they were cannibals or that they were to be feared. It was just this sort of exaggerated, you know, mythos of a people that that weren't there to defend themselves and in my understanding as a a 12 year old learning about the people who used to live on of some places galveston island where i was born and where i still had family that was powerful just like the myth and the legend and the idea of of these peoples who were there and no longer are and that's something that really stuck with me even as i was writing this book years and years later after i'd learned that and certainly years later after i'd learned that in fact, they haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> they've they've been here. There are descendants moving and walking through the world in a variety of of appearances and and heritages. And it's it's a tra- there are traditions being kept alive. And so the ca- the characters in my book are at least one of them believes that she and her granddaughter are descendants of the Karankawas, and she believes in the idea that they have gone, um, that she is in some way the last descendant. And that carries a lot of weight for her. And here I'm speaking of my character, Magdalena, who is the grandmother of Carly, who's one of my main characters as well. And that carries a lot of weight for her, I think. She feels the this deep sense of connection to place, to Galveston, to the carrying of tradition that she believes are traditions and and that she believes is something to be passed down to her granddaughter. And Carly has a little more trouble with it, I think. Speaking of your characters, what's going on as your book opens up? So at the opening of the book, it is a festival, a religious festival, a Catholic festival that's happening on Galveston that's being put on by a group of Filipinos who've immigrated to Galveston and celebrate this traditional Filipino festival. It is also a religious festival since uh, many Filipinos are Catholic as well. So they are holding this feast day for a, a you know, a, a treasured saint on the island uh, there in Galveston. And this is a real festival that happens all over the world. We used to celebrate it with my family in Galveston every year un- until Ike, I believe. And then it moved inland. I think it's being held in Houston now, somewhere around Houston. But it's a a religious festival in which they have, they hold mass, they sing songs, they sing prayers. It's both, it's bilingual. It's in English and Tagalog. And, and then they have a, a big celebration at the end. So it's this becomes much more of a fiesta, you know, a party with food and dancing and entertainment. So that's happening in the beginning of the book. And we see that's the introduction to Carly and her mother, Maharlika, who are going to, who is also going to be seminal in the rest of the novel. Yeah reminds us or tells us for the first time 
how diverse Texas is. Your characters have roots in Mexico, the Philippines, and Vietnam. It's, I mean, it's quite diverse. I think that that's, that's something that I want to portray. I, I think I portray that every day and just moving and living in the world, representing Texas, <laughs> whether I want to or not, when I leave the state. And I never really thought that was surprising until I learned how even people from corners of Texas aren't aware. And, and certainly a lot of people outside of Texas aren't aware of just the really deep span of how diverse our, our people are. You know, we have immigrants from, you know, hundreds of countries. We have people who've been, you know, grown up here, have moved here, have been here for generations or have, you know, just arrived. And I think that's one of the richest things about us. And it's something I wanted to celebrate. You mentioned uh, Hurricane Ike. Mm-hmm. Was that the worst hurricane in Galveston, or at least in recent years? I'd say worse. No, there there have certainly been worse ones. The the in recent years, possibly. Yeah, um, you know, people who are older than me could probably speak to hurricanes that happened in their lifetimes that that were more destructive than Ike. I certainly think of Ike as the worst one that in my living memory. As far as directly impacting Galveston, the, that stretch of Texas and, and up and down the coast where I, where I have a lot of family and in different parts, there are, you know, there are hurricanes all the time. They're used to storms. They're used to, you know, recovering from storms. Some take longer than others, but they, but they do come back. The worst one I can think of in Galveston, at least historically, is the 1900 hurricane, which, which completely devastated the island and, and, you know, something, some, the estimates run up to about 8,000 people estimated killed. So yeah, nothing worse than that. But Uvalde's in your book. You grew up there. I did. Where were you when you found out the news of the murders at the school? Houston. I was in the Bay Area around Houston and Galveston. I had, I had been there that day. I was visiting family and I had been there that day and spent the morning on Galveston with a writer from Texas Monthly. And we were talking about the book and and touring some of the places that I used to stay and significant landmarks to me. And uh, when I got back in my car and and talked to my sister, who still lives in Uvalde, she was was telling me about the ongoing news and and very little was known at the time. And, And I went back to my cousin's house where I was staying and watched the news for the next 48 hours. Did you go to that school? To, to Rob? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't attend Rob. No, there, I, I attended a different school, but, but yeah, yeah, Uvalde was my home. It's hard to describe. It's very devastating and destructive and destroying to kind of think about it constantly. But I, I, and it, and it's hurtful in a lot of ways to see a lot of the coverage and to know what's going on. But it's something that I believe that, that Uvalde wants to, wants to move forward, remembering and honoring, but, you know, to, to keep moving. So I'm, I'm very impressed and, and proud when I, when I come home and I see the way that they're doing that. Me was always Filipino, even as, as American as she became and as long as she lived here, which was 30 plus years. You know, her accent was there and, and it was pronounced and she never lost it and she never wanted to. She was just, um, very proud of it. But, um, but it's, it's, I think a lot of people can understand, even if you're not assimilating, but especially if you are, it's, it's hard to stand out all the time. It's hard to be the other in the room constantly. And so I think that there's ways in which people are responding to 
you know, I just want to, I just want to not be stared at. I just want to not be special or be, be strange or be, you know, I just want to fit in. And so there were, I, there were lengths that I could tell she went to the things that she wore or the way she styled her hair in the eighties, which was fun. Um, <laughs> just to, in order to just stand out a little less in a place like this. Well, and that is a theme in your book, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I th- I think the question of belonging is something in the in the book that the characters are all weighing and considering in in a lot of different ways. You know, where do I belong and what does it mean to belong or to or to not? Is it being around people who look like me or who are from my family or is it being around people who think the way I do or or um, you know, allow me to to disappear or to be someone else? You've said I'll always be writing about identity questions about family and belonging. Why? I think it's personal. It's deeply personal to me. And I, when I sit down and write, there's nothing more personal than writing. It, you know, my thoughts and my words on the page, you know, my thinking that's kind of moving me through it. And these are questions that I'm always reminded of and always thinking of in some way, shape or form for better or for worse. Some days it's a, a really difficult thing to kind of wonder when I travel to the Philippines and people comment on how different I look or when they, you know, which by which they mean how, how American or how Mexican. Same when I move through places in Texas and, and people ask me if I'm Asian, you know, that's, it's this constant reminder of being a little different. And some days it's really difficult and grating, honestly, but um, some days it's joyful and it's something I'm very proud of and, and I want to celebrate. So when I sit down to write, I think it's, I think it's impossible for me to separate these feelings from from what I write and from the characters I write. I think I always want to show them considering these things and weighing the cost one way or the other of what this means for them and for the people around them. Well, thank you. My guest is Kimberly Garza, author of The Last Karankawas, published by Henry Holt. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Yeah, thank you so much.